everyone. This is David Wilson from the Heat Check Podcast. On Wednesday morning, Anthony Chang and I did record about 35-40 minutes of pure basketball talk, breaking down the Heat sweep of the Pacers and the likely upcoming series against the Bucks. Of course, a lot changed throughout the day Wednesday, and the Bucks decided to go on strike to protest the police shooting of Jacob Blake over the weekend in Wisconsin. They boycotted their game against the Magic and led the league and the Players Association ultimately to postpone all of the Wednesday games. Uh, so we recorded an additional segment about the boycotts and the latest moment of players wielding their power to try to make social change. We're joined by uh, Isaiah Smalls, a colleague of ours at the Herald for that conversation. Um, we'll bring that to you right now. Hello and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast. I'm David Wilson. I'm joined, as always, by Anthony Chang, our Heat beat writer here at the Herald. Uh, and this week we're also joined by Isaiah Smalls, who... Wears a lot of different hats at the Herald. He has covered a lot of sports for us in the last year or so that he's been working here. Um, and he also covers issues affecting the black community in Miami and across South Florida. Um, so we want to have you on today um, with the latest news. We are recording this. It's about 6.30 on Wednesday. Um, a couple hours ago, the Bucks went on strike. They decided to... Uh, protest by sitting out their game against the Orlando Magic following the shooting of Jacob Blake uh, over the weekend in Wisconsin. I think I saw Kenosha's about like 40 minutes away from Milwaukee, so obviously deeply affecting their community. Um, and it certainly feels like a watershed moment for not just the NBA, not just for sports, but I mean, we've said this a lot, hopefully uh, society. I guess just from both of you, what was your reaction as you guys kind of saw this story uh, developing? Uh, for me, I was surprised, but not surprised um, because the sense you get from players and, and the Heat spoke about it today. After yeah, practice. you talked to them before this all happened today. Yeah, it was uh, it was like a couple hours before the start of the, well, the supposed start of the Milwaukee game. Um, and you could just tell, like they were, they were discouraged, and it's it's if they feel like, you know what, they went there to hope, you know, they wanted to make a change, they wanted to make a statement, and you know the, the thinking is nothing has changed, um, and what they're doing isn't enough. And was it worth even going into the bubble? Like, is even you know, is, is anything being, is an impact being made? Um, you know, in the in the beginning of the of, of the seeding games all the national anthem protests were shown and televised. And ever since that first game, you don't see them again. Mm-hmm. Like that's, they're still doing it. Players are still kneeling, but you don't see it televised anymore. Um, it's almost like, you know, it was, it, it was some, something that shocked the eyes at first, but people have kind of become just, it's just become the new normal and everyone's just m- moving on with their lives. And that's not what these players wanted when they arrived at Disney. Um, they wanted to make a change. They wanted to make a statement, uh, obviously bigger than basketball. And it hasn't happened. Um, and what he saw with Jacob Blake, uh, it was just kind of the the last straw. And you saw the frustration today with the Milwaukee Bucks boycotting uh, the game uh, and the other two games that were scheduled to be you know be played Wednesday. They were postponed as well. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how what the, you know what the next step is, what the players decide of how they want to proceed. Uh, you know, with the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, to piggyback off of Anthony, I wasn't really surprised either. I mean, you know, this is, this feels like one of those moments 
where, you know, a, a change is going to happen, generally speaking. I guess that was the mindset mm-hmm. when they came in, you know, to the to the bubble. And the fact that nothing seems to have changed, <laughs> I think it's it's disheartening, you know. Yeah. If I put myself in their shoes, I'd be pissed. Um, so I think that, you know, you know, I believe that there's a meeting tonight at like eight, eight o'clock mm-hmm. uh, amongst all the players where, you know, they're just going to decide how to move forward. And I think, you know, uh, as Anthony said, what comes out of that, I think will be, it seems, but I just feel like this is one of those moments in, and not just NBA history, but just sports history where I think, you know, they've already done a, a lot, the NBA and the players did. Uh, leading into the bubble in terms of making sure to emphasize, uh, you know, social justice and all that jazz. But I think that there's uh, there's going to be something even bigger. And I'm interested to see uh, what comes out of that meeting tonight. Yeah, it all felt like it happened really fast, but not fast at all at the same time. Or, you know, we weren't hearing necessarily any, you know, there was no, like, leaked reports that the Bucks were going to uh, boycott their game. Um, but obviously it had kind of been built, you know, every media availability, it seems like someone is bringing up, you know, Breonna Taylor, Black Lives Matter, especially um, in the last couple of days following the uh, shooting of Jacob Blake. It, it, you know, I think every Heat person who talked uh, after their game four win against the Pacers said Black Lives Matter or something along those lines. Um, so, you know, clearly something was going to happen. This is obviously like the most extreme step probably imaginable uh, short of potentially, you know, just canceling the season, which certainly seems to potentially be in play. Um, but it does, It felt like it came out of nowhere today, but it doesn't feel like it come out, came out of nowhere in the big picture. Um, and it is, you know, there was obviously a big debate of whether they should even be doing this. Um, you know, there was a faction of players that didn't want to go down to the bubble and continue their season because, they were worried it would distract, and this is, you know, this was the hammer they kind of always had in their hand when they went down to play. Is all eyes were going to be on them. This is, you know, the biggest story of the week, and there's a Category Five hurricane bearing down on the country. Like it, it is, they managed to wield their power in a way that really I don't think players ever have in, in sports. Yeah, and I want to say two things. Um... One of the things Andre Iguodala said today was was interesting, and it kind of shows you where players' minds at. Andre Iguodala is one of the most, you know, he's super well-read and just aware of everything, an entrepreneur. He said that he was not aware of the Jacob Blake uh, shooting until Eric Spolcher brought it up during a team walkthrough. And he was like, when he found out, he's like, how come I didn't know that? And his first thought was, is me being in the bubble – distracting me from what I really need to be focused on. Uh, I think a lot of players feel that way. Uh, I just, when he said that, I was like, wow, like that's true. I mean, they're, they're in the playoffs. They're caught up in obviously basketball on their own, you know, what's going on on the court. Um, for Andre Godala not to find out until his coach tells him, I mean, that's, that's, you know, it makes you step back and kind of look at the big picture. And second, uh, I want to just, you know, Kyrie Irving, he got a lot of criticism. Like you just brought it up, yeah. David. Uh, you know, for you know, organizing the Zoom call and you know, questioning whether players should even do you know, restart the season in the bubble. And this is what he was scared of. This is exactly what he was scared of. So I think, you know, people can question Kyrie Irving and what he's done in the past and kind of his eccentric personality. Uh, but this is why he 
wanted to have that conversation because I think he knew this was a possibility of, yeah, you want to go out, you're going up there with the right intentions, you're going to Disney with the right intentions, but it doesn't actually mean it's going to equate to what you hope it's going to, you know, what change you hope to make. Uh, and I, I just think, you know, that needs to be brought up because he did get criticized a lot, you know, a couple months ago when, when that whole story came out. Yeah, and this is, you know, the, the excuse that always gets thrown away by people thrown out by people who say things like shut up and dribble is, you know, these guys are, have obviously put themselves in a position to be relatively privileged. You know, they have a lot of money. They have, I think in all of our opinions, probably the best job in the world getting to play professional basketball. But it's like, it feels like it should be the biggest story that we talk about still, that in 2015, Thabo Cephalosha missed a Hawks playoff run when they were the number one seed uh, because his leg got broken by the New York Police Department. Um, obviously, you know, Sterling Brown with the Bucks is in the process of suing the Milwaukee Police Department for um, racial profiling and, uh, you know, use of excessive force, I think, for back in 2018. Like, it is directly affects this league. I mean, just think of two weeks ago, we saw Masai, the video of Masai Uhiri uh, with walking onto the court and after the Raptors won the championship and being accosted by a police officer who then sued him. And slandered him, uh, you know, publicly. So it is, you know, the NBA, it, it sucks for the NBA players that they have to be put in this position to speak on this. But they obviously are as well qualified to speak on this as, you know, pretty much any other, like, quote-unquote regular civilian. So anyone who else who is not, like, quote-unquote an expert in this sort of field. They're, they're experts through their life, life experiences and they have the platform to use. Definitely. And, you know... Making millions of dollars doesn't, you know, rob you of your blackness, you know, and I think that's a lot of that's a lot of times what people like to think. Um, and it, that's just not the truth. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, there's still black people. Um, and like, I mean, if you think of someone like LeBron James, when, you know, in the 2017 play in the 2017 finals, excuse me, you know, he has his house vandalized and there are racial slurs written on that. And I think it's. You know, they're realizing that not only are they qualified, as you said, David, they also have the, the biggest platform. You know, you know, LeBron James has millions of followers, and it, it's it's crazy to think that, you know, usually during this time, you know, he goes, what is it, zero dark 30 mode, shuts yeah. down all social media. But he's been very active on social media in the playoffs because he realizes his, his power and his platform. And, you know, it's just... It's it's a it's amazing to see that you know them owning it and them wanting to to take that change and, and make it take that charge and then make the change. Excuse me. Yeah, a couple other things that have happened in the last uh, little while: the Reds and Brewers postponed their game. Um, that was kind of the most shocking thing I think that happened to me all day. Baseball has you know had issues um, with uh, outreach in the black community, particularly in recent history. Um, and also just a few minutes ago, apparently Kenny Smith walked off the set of Inside the NBA to show solidarity with the players. Um, I'm sure by the time we're, you know, by the time we're done recording this, uh, there's some WNBA games scheduled to start in a little bit and they've always kind of been out front with this kind of stuff. Um, and I'm sure there will be something there, um, as well. So it's really just the start. We'll see how, you know, how long this ends up going to, if it winds up, you know, canceling the season um, or potentially postponing things further. Um, 
but this is, you know, a moment. There, there was never a risk. You know, there, it's not a risk when you're not putting yourself in financial jeopardy, right? That's kind of like the whole idea is like people who say, you know, the NBA ratings are down or whatever uh, because of this kind of stuff. That's kind of the whole point. And they're, you know, taking that to the furthest extreme right now. They're making a point in a way that, uh, like I said, I, it's hard to remember a team sport ever doing anything like this in recent history. Yeah, and I just think there's going to be a domino effect, whether it's in the NBA or you're already seeing it in other sports. Um, and the NBA is usually the leader on this. It's, it's funny how it works. Like, the NBA is usually the leader on this, and other sports kind of follow. Um, but, yeah, I, I just don't know. I mean, there's been – the whole talk earlier today was, will game one of the second-round series between Boston and Toronto, like, be played? And the Bucks preempted that, and mm-hmm. three – they are postponed so will the bucks in toronto will, will toronto and boston not play their game tomorrow as well like you know what what are the players willing to to kind of sacrifice here how far are they how far are they willing to go um that, that's what that meeting's for tonight um it's going to be a very historic conversation um you know they definitely want to make a statement they definitely kind of want to they want to, you know, I think Fred Van Vliet said it yesterday, like, we got to put something on the line. Like, what are we willing yeah. to put on the line? Um, and it's unfortunate that they're the ones that have to do this. You know, it really is. But, you know, they, they've kind of, I think you saw it today, they've made a decision that they're going to step up and they're going to decide how they want to how they want to make a change and how far they're willing to go. So, um, yeah, that's, I think that's, you know, right now we know that the games today were, were canceled or postponed, but... I think there might be more to come. So, um, yeah, tonight's meeting will dictate a lot. And if I could say, like, one last thing, I can't help but thinking, um, comparing this this whole situation in the meeting uh, tonight uh, to the the Cleveland Summit and uh, what came out of that with Muhammad Ali and who was joined by, you know, Jim Brown, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, when he decided to to take a stand um, against... Going to to Vietnam, you know, mm-hmm. I think that that's uh, a great comparison to this. You know, I think it's one of those huge, as as you all have said, it's one of these huge watershed moments in in sports that I think could you know s- totally change the way you know they athletes use their use their platform in the near future. Like you said, Anthony, uh, you know, the NBA really takes the lead on on stuff like this. So we'll see what comes out of it. Yeah. That, um, it's like you said, that's probably the last parallel, unless I'm forgetting something. That's kind of the last moment I can think of that has like a similar political weight behind the actions of athletes or, or a sports team. And, you know, this year has kind of drawn a lot of comparisons to uh, 1968, which was kind of viewed as like the previous most tumultuous year in our country's recent history. Um, that summit was sometime in the 60s, I don't know the exact year, but kind of led into that year also, which you know had the, all the widespread protests and obviously was a, a turning point for our country. Um, so you know it's kind of fitting that the athletes are once again you, the most politically they've active, most politically active they've been is at this moment again. All right, you guys have any uh, final thoughts before we wrap up here? I, I know we're going to sign off, and probably a lot's going to change in the next couple hours, but. Um, just any kind of big picture thoughts before we finish up? Oh, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's like we've been saying, it's a historic moment. 
and you know, I, we've I feel like we've said that so much, so many times this season, yeah. uh, this year, and this season. <laughs> in the last like four months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, we've been saying that. I mean, this season already. How long is it? It's been like ten months. This season has lasted, and for the past four months, we've just been saying we're part of history. Um, this is another part of that. Like this is, you know, it's still to be determined if the season will be completed. Um, but I think the players have made a very powerful statement, you know, uh, and yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of a loss for worry just because it is, it's not surprising, but it is something that we've never seen before, at least in recent times. Um, and it's, it's to see the NBA and players and coaches and, uh, league officials and mm-hmm. referees that came out of the statement, like just all acting in solidarity. Um, it's, it's a powerful thing. It really is. Yeah, um, I think the what, what's going to be most interested interesting for me, and what I'm going to look for is how do other leagues react? Yeah. You know, so yeah. let's say the the NBA decides to cancel the season. You know, what what does that do for college football? That's right around the corner. What's that going to do for the NFL? That's right around the corner. I know I don't know how many teams didn't practice today. Specifically talking about the NFL, but I saw that the Detroit Lions didn't practice yeah. today. They held a presser. In which they, you know, called for justice for, for him as for uh, Jacob Blake as well. So I don't know. Well, I'm interested to see what comes out of this. You know. Yeah, it is uh, going to be a interesting couple of days. You know, hopefully we get to get the season back on track because that means that some sort of progress is ideally being made. But after the last uh, couple of weeks and months, I'm not taking anything for granted. Uh, so I think we can wrap things up there. Isaiah, thanks uh, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, you, where where can people check you out if they're uh, if they're not familiar with your work? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's usually where I tweet out most of my stories. At uh, Saint Claude I I S T C L A U D E I I. Appreciate you all for having me. Yeah, thanks again for coming on, and I uh, will have to have you back sometime soon. Hopefully on a on a more fun note. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So we are recording this. It is, um, what day is it, Wednesday? Yeah, so the Bucks play tonight. So we're going to talk kind of assuming that they're going to be starting a series with the Bucks sometime this weekend. Um, they're up 3-1, um, and yeah, they're going to win. But let's start by uh, putting kind of our final touches on that Pacers series. Um it was pretty dominant for the Heat. Every game, I think, was decided by nine points or more. Um, you know, they led for pretty much all the fourth quarters of all those four games. Um, you know, we we talked, I think, after game two, and and were obviously very impressed. And I, I it, you know, it's it's weird in the bubble because you wonder, you know, how much can you like really consider a game four when it's three nothing? You know, even more so, guys probably wanted to get out of there, but. Um, yeah, I, I still definitely walk away from that series more impressed with the Heat um, than basically at any point all season. I mean, I know they had some good wins throughout the year, but the fact that they were able to sustain this with, with you know so many of the young guys, um, you know, particularly Tyler Hero, like not not fading at all, and actually really even playing better than he had in, in quite a while. Um, I don't know, makes makes you feel pretty good about uh, the the outlook moving forward. Yeah, like, you know, I think, I mean, we both did, and I think most people expected the Heat to win the series. 
but the fashion they won it, you know, was definitely impressive to, to get a sweep. And Indy, you know, Indy, they're a good team, but they were obviously just undermanned and the Heat were clearly, clearly the better team. But still, yeah. to get a sweep in the playoffs is not easy. Uh, it's not like it's a 1-8 matchup. Um, and it's like you said, I think the way the way you're seeing the Heat play right now, it's, it's different than they played earlier in the year because right. – Kendrick and Myers are out, um, and you have a smaller starting lineup. They're switching more on defense. The defense looks better. Um, they're playing like a, you know, it's similar style, but I, I would say even it's it's kind of different than what they, what what worked for them early in the season. Like it's a different formula, and I think that's the exciting part for the Heat, where you see this like new like new switching defense, and that's been the question mark all year. And yeah, it's not the best defense in the league, but. It has the fourth best defensive rating so far in the playoffs, only four games. Uh, but still, the defense has been pretty good, especially in that, you know, series clinching win on Monday. Um, I think that's been, you know, the offense has been not good all year, but the defense, the the little improvement you've seen so far, um, I think has to be encouraging moving forward. Yeah, and they needed the defense in that game because it was kind of the first game the shooting fell off a cliff. Um, you know, Duncan, who... You know, it was kind of streaky, actually, throughout the series. I think it was just one of seven in that game. You know, Jimmy, I think, had finished with six points and only played, right. like, 20 minutes because of that shoulder injury. Um, it's an ugly game. Yeah, it was an ugly yeah, game. And honestly, the, the fact they were able to do that defensively without Jimmy out there, who had been really good throughout the whole series, um, was pretty impressive. I, I don't you, – you're, you're typically better at, at, you know, tracking all, like, the – um, defensive metrics and stuff like that, the on-off stuff. But, like, yeah. you know, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson were a problem. But, you know, Goron, who is another guy I think we had labeled as a guy who who was a guy that teams would probably try to pick on one-on-one, he was pretty solid throughout the series defensively. Um, you know, I, I think Andre Iguodala, we've kind of mentioned him a lot over the last couple of weeks, but he had four steals in that game. Like, he's been a revelation, I think, on the defensive end of the court for Miami. Um and yeah, again, like like you said, the Bucks were were kind of outmanned, especially without Sabonis. Um, but the Heat, the, it was maybe the best defensive game they played all year. Like I know statistically, not necessarily, but just given it was a playoff game yeah. and um, you know missing Jimmy and you know the way that the offense was was struggling, they needed the defense to step up. It was this. Wasn't there like a Raptors game they won earlier this year that was like eighty seven sixty two or something weird? Like it was kind I of those two. A- Fourth, best, in terms of defensive rating, and you know, there's other factors obviously involved. But in terms of defense rating, it was their fourth best um, defensive performance of the season. Actually, the, their Pacers win, their win over the Pacers in the seeding games was actually third best. So, like, oh yeah, games against Indiana and Indiana is we've mentioned before the past few weeks, they're not a good offensive team. No, they've actually been. It's funny because the Heat had so much success against them. Heat's offense had so much success against them this season. They've actually been one of the best defensive teams in the league, like elite defensively. And then they're like 19th on offense, like pretty much an inefficient offensive team. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't the you know stiffest test for the Heat defense, but you still like. I was talking about this with somebody. Imagine if they hadn't made that trade for Jay and Andre. But like those two guys, not only do they provide stuff offensively, like obviously Jay shooting very well, Andre can facilitate. He's another like just high IQ guy on offense. Um, but just defensively, the two, you know, getting two perimeter defenders and two versatile defenders of that caliber. Um, imagine if they were on the team. Like, you know, there's James Johnson, Dean Waiters might not be in the rotation right now. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, he's hurt, so he might not be playing. 
imagine if those two defenders were on the team. I mean, the Heat would be in big trouble. That trade, you know, I know some people, most people thought it was a good move, but and some people don't. But I just think when you just think about it in that way, like it, it, this team is so much better because of that move. Well, yeah, and obviously the one thing no one could have accounted for when they made that trade was that this postseason is going to look so unusual. Um, and, you know, it's not crazy. You know, I, I think if this postseason was playing out as normal, like if we had just finished the regular season and gotten to the playoffs, we would have basically said there was zero chance for the Heat to, you know, get to the finals, win a championship. You know, they just did not look like they were, you know, Milwaukee was obviously playing so well. Um, and you got, you know, Boston and, and – um, Toronto, who were like kind of clearly better, you know, we would have had very slim. Thought there was a very slim chance in getting to the finals, let alone winning it. Where those, you know, particularly the two LA teams were so good, or looked so impressive, and obviously have, have kind of looked varying degrees of, of shaky, um, or at least vulnerable in the postseason. This postseason, um, you know, without Andre Iguodala and without Jay Crowder, this team would have no chance to no. to make any noise. And now it's like not crazy to say that they have. Uh, you know, not a big chance to win a championship this year, but a 5% chance, a 10% chance, like way more than I think we would have um, if this playoffs was playing out as normal. Um, and part of that is, part of that is Andre Iguodala just looking rejuvenated, as we've mentioned a lot. He was, I mean, he's makes three or four defensive plays a game where it's like, it's, they're like wild plays on defense, even though he's not, you know, getting a crazy chase down block or, you know, intercepting a pass and going the other way for a dunk like Jimmy Butler tends to do once or twice a game. Just how quick his hands are, the way he gets his hands on the ball, um, you know, when guys kind of drive past someone else and he comes over as the help defender, um, you know, he is changing the game with plays like that. And then obviously he's, you know, with him and Jimmy, those are, gives you two reliable one-on-one defenders on the perimeter. But kind of the off-ball stuff, the help stuff he does, um, you know, even if it's not flashy, you know, weak side blocks and stuff like that, they're they're changing the game. They're give you know stealing three or four possessions a game with him. Yeah, and, and you know me and my stats, but I, I I wrote about this yesterday. The trio of Bam, Jimmy, and Andre. I mean, it's not. There's a reason they've been on the court for pretty much yeah almost the entire fourth quarter in the series. Like when they're on the court together, they're, they're allowing 95.4 points per 100 possessions, which is an elite defensive rating. That's 43 minutes. It's not a ton of minutes, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not just five minutes either. 43 minutes is a good amount. And the Heat were very, very good defensive in those two, three guys on the floor. And it allows Miami to play Duncan or Tyler next to them because you have three guys of that caliber defensive where they can help, you know, and that's why that lineup works so well, that closing lineup with Goron and Tyler next to them where, yeah, Goron and Tyler aren't the best individual defenders, but you have three very, very good defenders you know, you know. I don't know if you would say Andre's elite at this point defensively, but he's still very, very good defensively. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's something that the Heat are going to turn to as long as they're in the playoffs. Like they're going to play those three guys together in crunch time moments because that is their best defensive trio. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it in when we kind of look ahead to this Bucks game. But it's it's a reason why they match up, I think, pretty well with the Bucks. And you know, we'll see if they if they play face a team like Toronto that has you know tends to play maybe like five guys you can really make you pay on offense at a time. Um, I think it becomes a little bit more of a challenge, you know, where, where you can pick on a guy like Tyler or Duncan. But, um, you know, there's no Warriors out there this year. You know, there's there's not a team that you typically runs out five guys that you feel like can make you pay on offense at any given moment. And 
um, you know, lets you win with, with weaknesses in a way that, that teams maybe were not able to in the last couple of years. Um, you mentioned Tyler Hero. He was kind of wound up being the big story, I would say, of the series. You know, Jimmy and Bam, I think, were clearly the top two guys on the court for Miami. I guess with Goron also. But Tyler, what he did as a rookie, um, 15 points in every single game. Um, I think he had, what, 20 in game three. Um, average about 16 a game for the series. Um, had that scoop layup in, in game four, the you know, veteran-looking play. Um, how, how good do you feel about him right now compared to even what you did in the regular season? I mean... It's cliche, but the playoffs are different, so you never know how a young guy's going to yeah. respond. Tyler is not just a rookie; I mean, he's twenty; he's a very young rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, and for him to play the way he did, um, offense, you know, defensively, he had his struggles. There's yeah. no doubt about that, and that's a huge part of the game. Obviously, it's in one side of the floor. He, he had his struggles defensively. They, you know, the Pacers attacked him, but that did not impact his offensive game at all. Like you said, average sixteen points on forty-five percent shooting, really efficient. Um, and I think the most important thing. And the most encouraging thing is that Eric Spolcher trusts him. Yeah. He played 46 of the 48 fourth quarter minutes in the series. Like, they, he was one of the guys they turned to late in the game. It wasn't Duncan Robinson. Yeah, even in game two when Duncan hit, uh, what, seven threes, eight threes? Like, Tyler was the guy at the end of the game. I don't think Duncan played a single fourth quarter minute in that game. Yeah, yeah, Tyler was the guy. I mean, he's 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 just a dynamic player. He's not just a shooter, as we've talked about over the past, whatever, eight months. Um, he's he's a guy who can make plays for others. He can create off the dribble. He's, uh, we've talked, we talk, we said to, uh, it's been a while since we've talked about this, but he has, his wingspan is not very good. Like he has a, yeah. pretty, his wingspan is actually shorter than his height. Yeah, that very, was the big pre-draft knock on him, it felt like. Yeah, so, yeah, like that was the question, like can he finish on the basket because of his, you know, lack of length, but he's such a creative finisher around the rim. You saw it, you know, you mentioned the scoop shot um, and just other plays in the series where you're like, wow, how did he finish that? Um, he makes up for his lack of length with with his creativity around the basket. Um, and he's just he just looks like a polished offensive player. Obviously, he's going to get better, but he's already a very polished offensive player for being 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And they needed him uh, because, like I said, Duncan was a little, you know, he was great in game two, but otherwise was honestly kind of quiet for a lot of the series and. It was really bad in game four. Um, it gives you that kind of, you know, they, those guys are different players, but if you get one of them going pretty much, if you get one of those guys that you feel comfortable going with in the fourth quarter, it makes a huge difference um, because, like you said, if you want to play those three, uh, you know, Jimmy, Bam, Andre, you're, you know, Andre can hit a corner three, you know, he's moves the ball well, can put the ball on the deck a little bit, but ultimately he's, you know, not a real threat on offense in terms of like a guy you need to, you know, guard really hard. Um, so you needed one of basically Tyler or Duncan or maybe maybe Kendrick at some point, but you needed one of those guys, one of those reliable shooters um, to be going in any given game. And, and, you know, as long as you've got one of those guys you feel comfortable playing in a fourth quarter and then you've got Goran as the point guard, that is a as dangerous a five-man lineup as I think anyone can run out right now. And... You know, it's not just the small sample size thing where they've been really good in the playoffs. It's, you know, those are two all-stars in in Jimmy and Bam, obviously. A pretty recent former all-star in Goron. A 
future all-star potentially in Tyler Hero and then a former finals MVP in Andre Godal. Like, you know, just the talent level of that group is legitimately up there with any five-man lineup I think you can roll out. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and the IQ, too. I mean, you have a lot of smart players on the court. Um, and, yeah, I, like, that. even though it's funny because we hadn't seen that lineup before this series, yeah. which is kind of surprising to a certain extent. Um, but it makes sense. That lineup makes a lot of sense. And I know people will point to the spacing issue with having Andre, Jimmy, and Bam on the floor. But having Goran with the way he's shooting the ball, yeah. especially right now, and Tyler on the floor just alleviates that issue where they create the space for those three guys. Mm-hmm. And it's like we talked about a few minutes ago, defensively, the trio of Bam, Andre, and Jimmy just works really well. Uh, it's just the lineup makes sense. Yeah, there will be games where Duncan will be in there for Tyler. Yeah, I think some like you like you just yeah. said, where there's the spacing questions. I think if you really run into that in – a series where you know you need to come from behind and, and you're not getting the space. Yeah. I think you can run Duncan out there and it, op- it opens things up in a different way. You know, Tyler is a more complete, op- better offensive player probably than Duncan, but the way that Duncan can, you know, just forces multiple defenders at any moment to have their heads turned to him and the way he runs around screens and all that, he totally changes the spacing and um, yeah, he get like he gets you shots. I know you talk about the important thing in the playoffs is shot creators and. And Jimmy and Goron are probably the two, you know, prototypical guys for that. But Duncan can create a shot in a way um, that I, I think even Tyler Hero can't, just because of what he can do off the ball, curling around screens, and the ability he has to shoot while closely contested. Like you know, you're going to get a pretty good look when he's on the court. Yeah, the, the quote-unquote gravity of Duncan Robinson yeah. is very unique. Yeah, yeah. you, you got to have at least one guy attached to him at all times. So it's basically you have four defenders, and you know. <laughs> four live defenders that you have to go up against when Duncan Robinson on the floor because one is always on Duncan. So. Yeah, and then if Bam sets a screen, then you've got two guys kind of involved yeah, in yeah. worrying about him. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's funny. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it was like kind of like an uneven series for Duncan. Like there were some shaky games. But when you look at his numbers, it's like he shot 44% of threes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, wasn't, it was okay. Yeah. He, he had the struggles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, but uh, I know most of those threes came in one game, but – He's still, you know, he's still found a way to be effective. And when he's, even when he's not making threes, uh, he's, he's, you know, the gravity, like we just said, like yeah. it, it makes such a difference when he's on the court um, just because so much attention is paid to him. Yeah. You can basically, if he's on the court, every set he should be coming off a screen and catching a ball. And even if he doesn't shoot, it just forces the defense has had to make multiple moves yeah. um, be, with both of the guy chasing him going off balance. And like I said, whoever the, um, this Bam's man has to to think about it too. Um, if Bam's the guy setting the screen, the Heat cannot be a fun team to guard. No, like, not at all. I know that they don't have the best offensive talents in the league on the team. Like, there's not like that one individual scorer that's going to put up forty a night, like Damian Lillard. But they just the way they play, all of the weapons they have, all of the shooting they have, and the you know the, how many times did they beat the Pacers on backdoor cuts in this series. Yes. Yeah. Guys are paying attention to shooters, and all of a sudden, his head is turned, and Jimmy Butler's cutting to the basket for a layup. Like, they just play a very – they know their personnel, and they play it perfectly. It's just a really, really good scheme, and they execute it very well, and they have a lot of shooting. And then guys who are willing to pass the ball, um, they're, a t- they're a tough team to guard. Uh, the one guy we haven't really talked much about is Goran Dragic. We talked a lot about him last week and just kind of his emergence as um, – Kind of the true number three option for this team behind Jimmy and Bam. Um, 
and that was through two games, and, and he really kept it up in kind of a way that I didn't think he was going to. You know, I thought he had kind of clearly asserted himself as that number three guy, um, but, you know, part of it was obviously Jimmy being hurt in, in game four, but his numbers did not tail off, like, at all as the series went on. He he was steady pretty much throughout, and he looks like he has settled into who he is right now, which is, um, honestly, it's kind of the... You know, Tyler and Duncan, you know, not fading really in the playoff moment is a big reason to feel good about them. But the fact that Goran has taken his game up a notch is why I think you ultimately can feel like they're kind of peaking now. You know, the Duncan and Tyler are kind of playing the way they played at their best. Goran is playing better than he has at any point in this season, which is um, pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm good. That four month break must have been super, yeah. very, very good for him because I would not have like predicted Goron to be playing his best basketball in the start of the playoffs. Yeah, you know, in the season, he there were questions. I remember in training camp in September, it was like, a, like five years ago, but he was being held out of practices because he was having pain in his mm-hmm. knee, like, he, and he was worried. He didn't know how his body was going to respond, and here he is in the first round of playoffs. I mean arguably the Heat's MVP in that series with the way he played, especially in the fourth quarters. Um, I think he's averaging the third most points in the playoffs in the fourth quarter, like behind only Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, he, he's played really well late in games. Um, the one thing I will say is, and Eric Spolstra alluded to it after the sweep, Goran played a lot of minutes. Yeah. And, and I just don't know how sustainable that is if you want to make a deep playoff run, I mean, averaging 34 minutes a game at 34 years old, um, that's a lot. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm sure, you know, they're going to want to try to trim his minutes down a little bit, maybe to 30 minutes, even like just five minutes out of that, off that total. Um, just because I, you, you want to keep him as fresh as possible and 34 minutes is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, Kendrick obviously got in the game there in game four and, and looked pretty good in his uh, relatively limited minutes. So, you know, there's, there's, like we said, there are like moves that um, Eric Spolster still has in his pocket that he hasn't made yet. And I'm sure we will see that um, some of that stuff moving forward, especially, you know, if this buck series goes six or seven games, um, which, you know, it certainly looks like it has a chance to. Cool. All right. Uh, anything else before we wrap things up? No, that's it. I, I mean, I you know we'll see if the Bucks I, this you'll hear this after game game five of the Bucks Magic series. But uh, if if Vooch has a big game and uh, Steve Clifford finds a way to beat the Bucks in game five, then this might be a little bit premature. But uh, I think the Bucks will get it done eventually. If that's yeah, right. yeah, I feel pretty confident talking as if the Bucks are going to win. Yeah, I I think that's a safe bet. Yeah, honestly, I don't think I, I watched some of Game One of that series and just like have kind of. Because it it's been like the noon game every day or, or the afternoon game, and it's just like, yeah, I kind of tuned it out. Figured the Bucks would regroup and win, so. Yeah, I, I, mean, I figured like they'll do it the next game, day or two. Game five, they, the Bucks need a big run to – game four, sorry. Game four, the yeah, Bucks game need four. a big run to win. Uh, the Bucks – the Magic have been playing competitive, especially without Aaron Gordon, but, yeah, the Bucks are just clearly the better yeah. team than yeah, they're going to win the series. All right. Uh, you can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony underscore Chang. He's got all your heat coverage. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DBWilson2. Uh, we also have a lot of podcasts now at the Miami Herald. Uh, be sure to check out the debut episode of uh, Fish Bites, our Marlins podcast hosted by Jordan McPherson. 
Um, and just go to MiamiHerald.com. There's a lot of sports going on. It's honestly, like, basically as busy as we've ever been. Yeah, it's yeah, it's all everything at once. Dolphin training camp, you know, Marlins pretty much, like, in the middle of their season <laughs> with how quick the season is. Yeah. Like, heat in the second round of the playoffs. Uh, you know, the Pan- I mean, the Panthers could have still been playing. Yeah, they could have still been playing. Round two just started, so. Yeah, college football season's about to start. Uh, yeah, it's kind of it's a very busy time, that's yeah. for sure. All right. Uh, Thanks, as always, for listening, and uh, we will uh, talk to you guys next week.